Hello, brothers and sisters. It is the Remnant Warrior here to tell you guys about another absolutely amazing way for you to get exclusive access to documentaries, audio and ebooks, and exclusive episodes of our brand new monthly subscription only podcast with myself, John, and Jeremy from By Their Fruits and a different special guest host each month. And best of all, you, the subscribers, get to vote and choose on the topic that we discuss in the episodes each month. You get all of this as well as the same access to the almost 200 episodes, books, and documentaries that you already have access to for only $2.99 a month. Now, we have a library of over 250 documentaries, ebooks, and audiobooks that we will be uploading to our subscriber only content each month you will not only get access to absolutely amazing content but you will also be helping this ministry to continue to spread the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to over 70 nations around the world that currently listen to the programs and Bible studies on Kingdom Productions Network. So guys, please pray about becoming a monthly subscriber. It's only $2.99 a month. That's less than a latte at Starbucks. So I hope you guys will sincerely think about helping us out and I love each and every one of you may God bless you all grace and peace you are now listening to the place for biblical end times truth the remnant report is the abomination of desolation that stands in the holy place. Now this might uh, be a controversial subject, it doesn't need to be, 
Uh, a lot of people have a lot of speculation about this issue and this topic, but we want to take out the speculation, go to the plain teaching of Scripture, see what it says, and then understand it. And this, this is not... This uh, video and even uh, some of the videos that have been related to end times is not related to this system or that system of theology or uh, eschatology, but what we're looking at is just what the scripture says about some of these issues that are often mentioned when eschatology comes up. So let's go and look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolations, Jesus speaking, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not return to take his clothes. Woe to those who are with child and to those who are nurse in that, those days. Pray that your escape will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not happened since the beginning of the world until now, not ever and nor ever shall be. Unless those days were shortened, no one would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So, we need to ask the question, you know, what is this abomination of desolation that was spoken of by Daniel, but now here is uh, applied by Jesus Christ, spoken of Daniel standing in the holy place. What is this holy place speaking about? So we have to ask this question. Now, when Matthew was writing his gospel, he was writing the gospel with uh, Hebrew believers in mind, with people that would understand the Old Testament scripture, people that would understand the references that were made. But Luke thankfully, was written to a more Gentile audience, and so he uses more plain language. And so we're able to find out what was spoken about over here. If we turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 20, 21, verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter in. For these are the days of vengeance that all things will be written will be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who nurse in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led away captive to all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So hopefully we can see very clearly this is a parallel passage. It's just spoken in more common language. So in verse 20, Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, so that's the abomination of desolation. There's armies that are going to surround Jerusalem. Then you will know that its desolation is drawn near. What is the holy place? If we flip back to Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation, this is going to be the armies, spoken of by Daniel, standing in the holy place that's surrounding Jerusalem, then we know that its desolation is near. This is the abomination of desolation. The abomination is going to be the Roman Empire and the Roman armies that came in in 70 AD to destroy the, uh, the nation of Israel. This is what happened in 70 AD. Now, how do we know it's talking about that time? If we flip back to verse chapter 21, Luke 21, verse 5. As some spoke of how temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts, he said, as for these things which you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. They asked, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when this is about to happen? So when will the temple that they were looking at, they were looking at the temple, he says, these stones that you're seeing right now are going to be torn down. When would that happen and what would be the sign it's about to happen? The sign that it was about to happen was when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, verse 20, then you know its desolation has drawn near. 
Then you know that Jerusalem, the holy place, and the temple, the most holy place that was there in Jerusalem, is going to be torn down. So we know that he was talking about that time. We were able to see this further as we go in verse uh, 21, verse 22. For these are the days of vengeance in that all things which are written will be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who nurse in those days. For there will be great distress in the land. Which land? The land of Israel. And wrath upon this people. What people? The people of Israel. They will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led away captive to all nations. Which is exactly what happened in 70 AD. Jerusalem was sacked by Rome in AD 70, and then many were killed, many were killed in many horrible ways, and then they were spread throughout the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So we can see that this happened back in the past, and they were scattered abroad, and there was going to be history after this point until the end. Now, if we go back to Matthew chapter 24, we see here um, verse 21. It says, for then will be great tribulation such as has not happened since the beginning of the world until now, no, nor ever shall be. So up to that time in 70 AD, Jesus is saying this is going to be the worst thing that's happened. And after that, he's saying that nothing's going to be like it in the future. So whether we want to accept that or not, this is just simply what Jesus is speaking. This doesn't mean that there is not uh, maybe a second fulfillment of this passage uh, that's still yet to take place in the future. Uh, oftentimes when the prophets spoke, uh, for example, Isaiah 13, speaking of Babylon, it also had a hint that it was speaking about the end of the world. So here we can take Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21. We can take them in the sense of that it was talking about AD 70, but AD 70 was looking forward to something that's going to happen greater at the end of time. So there's, there's no biblical issue with that. But when we ask the question, what is the abomination of desolation that surrounded the holy place? We know that that was the armies of Rome that surrounded Jerusalem in AD, actually it started in 67, I believe, and then finally concluded in the, with the sack of Jerusalem in AD 70. And then the, the Jews, many of them were killed and they were cast and spread around all throughout the world until uh, today when now many of them come back to the land of Israel, but most are still scattered throughout the world. And so I want us to see that's just the clear interpretation. It was the temple that they were looking at. Jesus said the these, these buildings that you see will be torn down. What's the sign that they will be torn down? That the armies would surround Jerusalem. Then you know that its desolation is near. This is the abomination of desolation. But I wanted to point out one issue that is so very helpful in understanding the context of this passage. Because oftentimes it is very misunderstood because people are always thinking in terms of future events, things that are still to come. Now, in Matthew chapter 24 and the other passages, parallel passages, there are future events discussed, particularly the coming of Jesus Christ where every eye will see him. Okay, so that's a future event, something we're still waiting for that has not happened in history. But the context is very clear about what is being discussed immediately by the disciples and Jesus. And understanding this can help us quite a bit. Because what will happen is when people are doing eschatology, they start to connect things together very quickly. And so they'll see 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 about the man of sin sitting in the temple of God. And then we'll see uh, Matthew chapter 24 about the abomination of desolation. And then they'll go and find something in, uh, you know, Daniel and then something over in Revelation. And we'll connect them all together like it's just this perfect system. But what we have to do is we have to deal with each passage individually first. We have to deal with the context first. After we understand the context of that passage, then we can see if it's appropriate to connect it with something that is very similar. 
an example of this is where is the Antichrist mentioned in the Bible? Most people would probably say, oh, in definitely in Revelation. No, the Antichrist is not mentioned in Revelation. You say, well, okay, maybe Ezekiel or Daniel or uh, in, in Matthew chapter 24. No, only in 1 John is Antichrist mentioned. It might be also in 2 John, but only in 1 and 2 John is the term Antichrist used. And in that context, the primary use of it is to talk about false teachers in the body of Christ, people that are claiming to be Christians, but they're teaching things contrary to the doctrine of Christ. Now, he alludes to something that's greater than just individual false teachers, but I want us to see that oftentimes we'll make connections of things that are not necessarily true. We connect the beast with the man of sin, with the abomination of desolation, with the antichrist, and maybe those things are to be connected, but we need to be very careful that we do it. We don't do it just because some chart, you know, some fancy chart says that all those things are connected together and that makes everything make sense and it's all one big picture. No, we need to do the work of going to each passage and try to deal with it. So let's go ahead and look here at Matthew chapter 24, just the first few verses. Now, like I said, I've covered this. I'll try to put a link uh, in. I've covered the context of this in a longer video form. But here, okay, Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus departed from the temple and was leaving when his disciples came to show him the temple buildings. Okay, so this is what's under view. They were walking out away from the temple and they're going up to the mountain. Actually, they're going up to the Olivet, the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. And they're going up there, and they're looking, kind of getting a view of all the temples and all the the temple and all the buildings around it. Okay, that's what's happening. Jesus answered them, "Do you not see all these things? Okay, what things? The temple that they're looking at. So this is the temple that was around before it was destroyed in A.D. 70. Okay, by the Roman armies." Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he's talking about these buildings and he's talking about them being destroyed. He's not talking about uh, somebody coming in and setting themselves up to be God and then ruling the world from a temple. He's not talking about that. He's talking about somebody that's coming that's going to destroy the temple. Okay, now there might be some foreshadowing in a future event of maybe some rebuilt temple and and you know, somebody, uh, somebody's going to come and claim to be God and sit in that temple, a man of sin. That might all be true. But here in this passage, we need to recognize that that's not what's being discussed. That's not what's in view. It's not talking about somebody just coming in and being a, a false messiah. It's talking about somebody that's coming to destroy the temple. Okay, so they destroyed the temple that they were looking at. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So we see from this question, tell us when will these, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age, that there's a couple things that are under discussion. So he's going to talk about the future. He's going to talk about the, the, the coming, his coming and talk about uh, new heavens and new earth. He's going to talk about the new creation, the judgment of the world. He's going to talk about things that are still yet to come in the future. But primarily, the first question is, Tell us, when will these things be? What things is he talking about? When will this temple that we are looking at be destroyed? The temple, the complex, when is this going to be destroyed? And he'll go on, of course, to share this. He talks about this in verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So he's talking about something that happened. Now we know when this happened. 
We know that this happened in AD 70. For, for years, a few years, they had surrounded and they had uh, uh, cut off uh, Jerusalem and Israel from other lands. So Jerusalem was under siege. Okay, and so it was a bad time. People were committing cannibalism. They were doing all kinds of things because they were in a difficult situation. They couldn't get food and they were cut off from the outside world. And this was the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem. And here it says the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. He's referring back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 through 27. And he's giving us the interpretation for that. But in Luke, if we flip over here, again, I've discussed this before, but just to make sure that everything's kind of all in one place in each video here. Luke chapter 21, we see in plainer language what the abomination of desolation is. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation has drawn near. Now, desolation means what? Destruction. Whenever Jerusalem is surrounded by the armies of, of Israel, when then that city is going to be destroyed. That's the sign that you know it's about to take place. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation is drawn near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and those who are in the city and let those who are in the city depart and let not those who are in the country enter it. So whenever Jerusalem was surrounded by the Roman armies in 67 AD, then the Christians understood what Jesus was talking about and they made sure that they fled. They didn't go into the city. They knew that this was going to be a time of great destruction and that eventually it was going to end with the destruction of the temple, which Jesus and his disciples were looking at when they started talking in Luke chapter 20, Matthew chapter 24. So I'm not saying that in Matthew chapter 24, uh, the second, upcoming, second coming of Christ is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem AD. I'm not a preterist. I'm not, I'm not speaking about that. I'm not saying that uh, everything is supposed to be taking metaphorical or anything like that. I'm saying actually very literally, we want to take the scriptures and say that Jesus was telling his disciples that the, the buildings that they were looking at were going to be destroyed. When were they going to be destroyed? They were going to be destroyed when the armies surrounded Jerusalem. They weren't going to have somebody come in to just kind of set up themselves to be God in the temple. No, it was somebody that was going to come to destroy the temple, that not one stone would be left upon another. So it's important for us to understand that if we're going to understand all the discourse, we need to understand this basic context. Otherwise, we will blur things together and we'll, we'll rely too heavily on charts instead of the context of each passage. Now, this is going to be the second in this series. And so if you haven't watched the first video, I encourage you to go watch it. Basically, in that first video, we looked at the context of the passage. Uh, what we kind of summed up was starting here in verse 1. Jesus departed from the temple and was leaving when his disciples came to show him the temple buildings. Jesus answered them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So the first part of the context is that Jesus and his disciples are looking at the temple complex that was there in their day. And Jesus gives a prophecy that these, this, these buildings are all going to be destroyed. They're all going to be torn down. The ones that you're looking at are going to be torn down. So in this discourse, Jesus is going to discuss the tearing down of that temple which they were seeing. Now, we know from history that this happened in AD 70. So he's going to dis discuss some of the events related to that. But then they ask him a question in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? So what things? When will the destruction of the temple and the complex, when will this take place? We see, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
So he's not only asking, they're not only asking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70, but they're also asking about the end of the world, the coming of Jesus Christ, the judgment from the dead, the rapture, the being caught up. They're asking about these things and Jesus is also going to refer to these things. And so as we get into the passage, we're going to see we have to be careful which point he's talking about at which point. Sometimes it seems to overlap and we need to be very careful at what we're looking at. Now, as we're going through this series, this talking through the Olivet Discourse is only the first Uh, God willing is only the first part of our study. We're going to go through other passages that are related to the end times. And what we're trying to do is look at each passage in context and come to a conclusion about what it is teaching us. We don't want to just jump too quickly to building a big theological system about the end times. We want to look at each passage and try to get what it's telling us. What we really want to do is use this as an example of how we study the scripture, of how we study the scripture in context, and then how we connect it systematically with other parts of the scripture that we cautiously and in the fear of the Lord, we connect things that should be connected. So let's go ahead and jump here into the passage. And today we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 14 in Matthew chapter 24. What question is he referring to or what topic is he thinking about? Is he talking about the destruction of Jerusalem? in 70 AD, or is he talking about the second coming, the end of the age? I think if we look in verse 13, so this section, verse 4 through 14, if we look in verse 13, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I think we can assume that verse 4 through 14 Jesus is talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the end of the age. He's talking about his second coming. And so he mentions this at the end, kind of wrapping it up as a bookends to what he's discussing in these few verses here. So that's what's under discussion. So I do not assume he's going to be saying anything about 70 AD or, you know, only about that time period, that generation that they were living in. But I assume that he's going to be talking about the age leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ because of what he says in verse 13 and 14. But also, as we look into it, we will see this starting in verse four. Jesus answered them. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So what we see here is that Jesus is anticipating that people are going to have this anxiety, that they're going to have this uh, sense that everything is about to close in, everything's about to end, it's all about to be over. And because of that, when they hear, uh, you know, that, oh, there's the Christ over there or there he is over there. When they hear that, they're going to be tempted to go run to that. And so he's saying, don't be caught up with that. There's going to be many. So take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and deceive many. You will hear, verse six, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must happen, but the end is not yet. So he's telling them, you're going to hear about wars rumors of wars don't get caught up in the hype don't imagine that wars and rumors of wars are signs that the end has taken is about to come because he says these things must happen but the end is not yet so do not be troubled usually when this passage is discussed among people talking about the end times they talk about wars rumors of wars he's going to talk about let's go ahead and read that Uh, in verse 7. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, epidemics, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. So again, he's reiterating. Just because you hear of wars and rumors of wars, that doesn't mean it's all about to take place. Just because you hear of various 
earthquakes, famines, and epidemics, all these things, nation rising against nation, that doesn't mean the end is at hand. So these are not actually signs that the end of the world is about to take place. They are something that is going to be normal in the age leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. They are not to alarm us. He says, do not be alarmed. Do not be troubled as though these are signs pointing to my immediate return. Like I am about there because you see if, you know, there was a pandemic and you see that now there's war in Europe and you see these things taking place. Aha, these are signs. This is what's taken place throughout history. People misunderstanding this passage, in my view, they've misunderstood this passage. And every time there's wars and rumors of wars and all these things taking place, they're like, look, there's more earthquakes than there were 100 years ago. Oh, but there's more taking place. And that means it's getting faster, like birth pangs. It's coming more and more and more. And so the time is really leading up. It's about to be here. No, I think that these passages, what Jesus is trying to say is don't get caught up in the hype. Don't think that these are signs telling you that the end of the world is at hand. Before he tells us what sign, what the sign is of his coming and of the end of the age, he tells us what the signs are not. And the signs are not wars, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, epidemics, earthquakes in various places. These are not signs of the end of the age. Okay, we need to get this in mind. Now, why would he give this, this warning? Uh, an illustration to describe this might be, imagine you live way out in the country somewhere and you uh, are telling somebody, look, okay, after you take a left at that gravel road, then you're going to go for a long way. And then you tell them, now, you're going to take the first right, okay? The first right-hand turn, you're going to take it. It's also going to be a gravel road. It's going to have a big sign. You know, it's going to say, this is the way to Chris's house. Turn here. I put that sign up. It's all going to, it's going to lead you right there, Okay. But when you're driving, you're going to be going for so long on that gravel road that after a while, you're going to start thinking, did I miss it? Did I miss the sign? Did I miss the turn? Because you're going so long. When you start to feel that way, do not worry. Don't worry that you've missed the sign. No, the sign is still far away from you. You still need to keep going forward. Everybody always feels like they missed it because the road is so long. And so this is what Jesus is telling us here. He's telling his disciples, he's saying, look, History is going to take place. Now, would they know how long this was going to be when Jesus was telling them this? No, they wouldn't know how long this was going to be, but he was giving them the impression that it was going to take time. It was not going to be something that was going to happen to them immediately. They were not waiting like at any moment. They said, wait a second, the end is not yet. When I see wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, all these things, wait a second, the end is not yet. Okay, so it was not an immediate thing for them. And we'll look at some other passages later that will help us to conclude that that is what he is saying right here. But for now, we'll just stop here with the, the fact that he says, the end is not yet, and these are the beginnings of sorrow. But then it goes on. Let's go to verse 9. Okay, verse 9 says, Then they will hand you over and persecute you and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. For many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Again, as we read through this, we should see that time is passing. And so when he's talking about this, the iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Well, it'll grow cold because time is passing. You know, we'll see this later in some of his, um, some of the parables he uses in, for example, at the end of 24, yeah, in verse... 47 he's giving a parable he says 
Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler of all goods. But if that servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming and begins to strike his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, that master of that servant will come on a day when he does not look for him in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in pieces and appoint him a portion with the hypocrites where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right here, when it says that the love of many, verse 10, then many will fall away and, and uh, betray one another, hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and see many, because the iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold, okay? But he who endures to the end shall be saved. It's something you've got to go through. There's, there's going to be a time to pass. Now, usually we don't have this view. Usually when we think of these passages, we don't have this view because we've been trained to think that it's just talking about a seven-year period or something like that, or a last generation or, or something. But remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them that they are going to have to go. They're going to have to endure, okay? And then we know that after them, generation after generation after generation has gone to endure this. So looking back in hindsight, we're able to see when he was speaking to them, he knew that it was going to be at least 2,000 years before this took place. He knew that his coming in the end of the age was still a long time coming. And so even though they might not have understood exactly how long he was talking about, he did. And the way he expressed himself fits well with what we've seen over the last 2,000 years. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So here again we see that this is talking about the Great Commission going out throughout all nations. But what I want us to note about this passage is not so much that you know, trying to figure out exactly when is it going to be fulfilled, when is it that all nations have heard, have had a testimony given to them. Is it when every last person hears the gospel or when every nation state hears it or when every ethnic group hears it? How do we define an ethnic group? You know, you can define it in many different ways and split the languages up. So this is not a passage telling us exactly we know that once that last person hears the gospel, then we know the end has come. Instead, what we see is that what is going to be taking place in this time of history is that the gospel is going to be spreading. It's not so much a sign to tell us when the end is going to take place as much as it is to say the characteristic of the age that we're living in. So what's the characteristic of the age that we've been living in for 2,000 years? There's been wars, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, epidemics, earthquakes in various places. All these things have been taking place. Also, there's been people serving Christ, falling away, growing cold. There's been persecution here and there and everywhere. And then in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, and throughout this, this period of time, the last 2,000 years, the gospel is spreading. It's spreading from here to there and there to here. This gospel is being spread. If we flip over to Acts chapter 1, we can see this. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So don't care about the times. Don't care about all that. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the visible return of Jesus Christ is going to come. But until then, what are we going to do? Before he visibly returns in the clouds, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be preaching the gospel. We'll be, but we will be persecuted everywhere we go. That all nations will be hated by all nations for his sake. 
Um, what else will be taking place? There'll be wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of chaos going around the world. Okay, so as we go back to Matthew chapter 24, we see that this passage, verse 4 through 14, is describing the last 2,000 years of history. It's describing what has been taking place for a long time, and Jesus is telling us, don't get discouraged, don't get all hyped up and anxious about what's happening. This is normal life in the last days. The last days being from the time Jesus came until the time he comes again, as it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So the last days is not the last few years before Jesus returns from heaven, but the last days are the time from Jesus coming until the end of the world. And so we need to have that perspective in mind. And so this is what Jesus is telling us. You're going to go a long way. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a lot of trials. You need to stay focused, proclaiming the gospel. And then at the end of that, the end of the age will come. Now, I want to take a minute to share a practical principle when we're studying these things, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If we look here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Matthew was writing to Jews. He was writing to Jews that knew the Old Testament, that knew the phraseology of the Old Testament. And so oftentimes what happens is when he's sharing, he's kind of quoting the Old Testament, using that phraseology and using it as an idiom, speaking to Jews. Okay, but sometimes it's hard for us to make out what he's saying. Now here, without going into it, in verse 15, he references Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 through 27. But here's what he, here's what he says. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Okay, this has been used to talk about many things, and it might seem very confusing. But if we flip over to Luke chapter 1, the parallel passage, and we see how Luke writes it. Now, Luke is writing to Gentiles, so he doesn't use a lot of the phraseology and the Hebrew idiom, but he talks in more plain language, at least plain for us, uh, as those that are not so steeped in the culture of that day and the language of that day. If we look to Luke chapter 21, in the parallel verse, it says this in verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation has drawn near. Okay, so when you see Jerusalem, the holy place, surrounded by armies, the abomination, the, the Roman armies, then you know that its desolation, its destruction is near. Okay, so Luke helps out a lot to be able to inform us. Sometimes Matthew and Mark are using language that's not so familiar with us, but then Luke puts it for his Greek audience, for his you know, Gentile audience, he puts it in more common language. Let's look at another example. If we switch over to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26 in verse, start in verse 63. But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I say to you, hereafter you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So this gives the impression that Jesus is saying, that the high priest is going to, with his eyes, is going to see Jesus seated at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of heaven, okay? But we know that that's not what took place. We know that the high priest did not see that. What, G what Matthew and what Jesus are, is referring to is back in Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, coming to the Ancient of Days, seated on the throne, and receiving from him a kingdom that will have no end. So we see in this, Jesus is talking about 
his exaltation to the right hand of God being made Lord of heaven and earth. But the language seems to us like it's talking about the second coming, like it's going to happen in the day of the high priest. He's going to see it happen because it says coming on the clouds of heaven because we think of coming on the clouds of heaven means from heaven to earth on the clouds. But in Daniel chapter 7, it talks about coming on the clouds of heaven to God on his throne. So we don't understand that. Now, again, Luke helps us out in this. If we flip over to Luke chapter, let's see, it'll be 20. Okay, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 66. When the day came and assembled the elders of the people and the, both the chief priests and scribes came together and led him away to their council saying, are you the Christ? Tell us. He said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I answer you, you will not answer me or release me. From now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So here he doesn't talk about clouds of heaven and you seeing me seated at the right hand of God. It just says, from now on, you will see me, seat, or, from now on, I will be seated at the right hand of God. In other words, from now on, I will be exalted and I will be Lord of all. And so Luke puts the language, he, he simplifies it for us so that we can understand. He gives a paraphrase so that we can understand what was being talked about. And so here's the principle. When studying uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke will oftentimes clarify some of the Hebrew idioms that are used by Matthew and Mark who are writing to Jews. Now, that doesn't mean that, uh, that Luke is always clear. Sometimes, of course, Matthew and Mark uh, make something more clear so that we can understand Luke better. But particularly when we're talking about the coming of the Son of Man and these kind of idioms, it's very helpful to go to Luke. And it's also helpful in the passage that we're considering. So let's go over to Luke chapter 21 and consider the parallel passage to what we just looked through in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 through 14. Okay, let's start. Luke chapter 21, start in verse 8. He said, Beware lest you be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go out after them. So here he tells us a little bit more. He says, okay, yeah, you're going to have false Christ. They're going to say, I've already come, you know, come follow after me. The time is near. The time has drawn near. So they're going to be manipulating people into a frenzy, thinking it's already here. It's already here. Come quick, follow me. I'm, I'm the one. Follow me quickly. And many are going to be deceived by that. And so he's telling them, beware lest you be deceived. For many will come and say, I am he, the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. Verse 9, when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be afraid, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at hand. Now, to be at hand means to it's not ready to take place immediately. It's not, it's not time for that to happen. So when you hear of wars and commotions, that's wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed thinking that that is a sign that the end of the world is now at hand. That is not a sign that those things have taken place. So remember, he's talking about anti-signs, about things that are not signs of the end, things that should not alarm us and make us think, think the end of the world has come. Okay, verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Again, this is, this is kind of a, a long-term view of history. You know, studying history, you study war, this war, then that war, then this kingdom, then that kingdom. That's what you say. So kingdom shall rise against kingdom, a nation against kingdom, a nation, a kingdom, whatever I just said. Okay, verse 11. Great earthquakes will occur in various places. There will be famines and pestilence. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Okay, so there's, again, 
There's going to be all kinds of natural phenomenon going on. There's going to be eclipses here. There's going to be hailstorms there. There's going to be a famine in this place. There's going to be all kinds of things taking place. Do not be alarmed. Don't think that this means the end is at hand. Okay. Verse 12. But before all these things, in other words, but first, uh, before you even start hearing about wars and rumors of wars, the, things that's gonna, the thing that's going to happen to you immediately, what's going to start happening to you, my disciples, after I die, after I rise again, what's immediately going to happen to you is that you are going to start suffering. You are going to start being persecuted. But before all these things, they will seize you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And so that's what happened. He started, they started to be brought before uh, the leaders of the Jewish uh, nation, and then once you, the gospel spread out among Gentile nations, they were brought before uh, Roman governors and different people. Verse 13, it will turn out as a testimony for you. So, just as he said that the gospel would spread to the end of the world, and then the end would come, that there would be a testimony for all nations. So, this is how it takes place. Whenever they are persecuted, they're brought before the leaders of the government and they are allowed to testify of the gospel. They're able to testify of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and his lordship before the Roman authorities and before all authorities throughout history. And this is the gospel being proclaimed into all nations as a testimony for them. So earlier when we read it, it just kind of seems like it's just a general idea that the gospel is going to spread. But here it's saying it's spreading in the midst of persecution and being brought before authorities. That that is where the testimony takes place. Verse 14, therefore resolve in your heart beforehand not to practice your, your defense, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom which all your opponents will be able to neither refute nor resist. You will be betrayed by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Now, here's an interesting verse, because when we read this and we think of the original context, the original context was Jesus speaking to his apostles on the Mount of Olivet. It says, that some of you, they will put some of you to death. Actually, except for Judas, who would have been listening, and John, who lived on the Isle of Patmos in exile, actually, all of the disciples of Jesus were put to death. But here he says, some of you will be put to death. He also talks about being betrayed by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. I don't think that we could say that all of them were betrayed by these people. As they went out and shared the gospel in other places, maybe they were betrayed by friends as they preached the gospel into other lands and, you know, went beyond the gospel, uh, beyond the borders of Israel. But I don't think that all of their brothers and parents and friends were betraying them. So what I'm getting at is this, is that this is talking in general about the church. Because remember when Matthew, Mark, and Luke are writing, John as well, when he's writing... They are talking about the original context that was spoken to the apostles, but they also had, they were also writing these things as letters or as writings to the church of Jesus Christ so that they could hear and be blessed by them. They could hear teaching, they could hear challenge, they could hear encouragement. And so when Luke is writing this, he's writing this not just with the original audience in mind, but also with his audience in mind. And so this is telling us that the church, 
you are going to go out and you're going to proclaim the gospel and you're going to be persecuted and you're going to be brought before governors and before kings as a testimony to them and you're going to be betrayed by parents and friends and some of you are going to be put to death. And so we need to understand the context of the people that were hearing it, not just the person, not just the apostles that were hearing it from Jesus, but also the believers that were hearing it from Luke. So I hope that makes sense that we need to read it kind of in those two contexts. Okay, verse 17. You will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall perish. So again, we see that this is a, uh, a global event, that the gospel is being spread to all nations, to all kings and all the people that are throughout the world, and that all nations, all men are hating the disciples of Jesus Christ. But then he finishes with verse 19. In your endurance, you will gain your souls. So you remember we read, in Matthew chapter 24, it says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Okay, now saved there is not just talking about staying alive to the end of a tribulation period. It's talking about saving your souls. In other words, that if we endure to the end of the world or we endure to the end of our own lives, if we endure in faith, then we will possess our, we will gain our souls. Throughout the years, I've always heard when people are talking about the end times and the coming of Christ are like, look, oh, look what's going on in the world. There's wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. And they talk about how things are getting worse and all these things. And they point to those as signs that the end of the world is at hand. When we look at this passage clearly, though, Jesus seems to be saying just the opposite. He seems to be saying, look, don't use these as signs pointing to the end. They are not signs of the ends of the age. And he's telling this so that we do not get confused by all the trouble and difficulty that's been happening throughout the last 2,000 years. Because now as we look back on it, we're able to say for sure things were not at hand. The end of the world was not at hand. You know, Even though those false Christs in Luke chapter 21 were saying, look, come, I'm the Christ, the end is at hand. It was not at hand. And Jesus was trying to warn his disciples and Matthew, Mark, and Luke were trying to warn those that their readers that things were still going to take place. Don't get caught up in the hype of everything that you see that bad's happening, thinking that means it's the end of the world. So what is last days? Let's go ahead and, and turn our eyes to this. Here in, if we go to Hebrews chapter one, as the last days, as I mentioned before, does not mean the last few years before Jesus comes back. The last days means from the time of Jesus' first coming until the time he comes back, sets up a millennial kingdom, and that is the last days. Because the last days is viewed from the Old Testament looking forward to the time of the Messiah. And the time of the Messiah has already come, but it hasn't come in its fullness until Jesus returns a second time. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. And we want to get this cleared away very clearly that the last days is not the last few years of history, but it's the messianic age. Verse one, God, who at various times and in diverse ways spoke long ago to the fathers through the prophet prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the world. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. When Hebrews was written, that was 2000 years ago, when it was written, that was already the last days. If we look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, whenever the Spirit of God came down, uh, then Peter stood up to explain. Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, men of Judea 
and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by Prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So he says, this is what was spoken of in the Prophet Joel, that in the last days. So what was happening on the day of Pentecost was happening in the last days. It was fulfillment of prophecy. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read this. These, these statements and this perspective is actually littered throughout the New Testament, but a lot of times we miss it because of our paradigm. If we see here in, let's go ahead and start in verse 10. Neither murmur as some of them murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11. Now all these things happen to them for examples. They are written as an admonition to us upon whom the end of the ages has come. So the end of the world, the last days, the end of the ages, uh, these things were already written, they were already taking place in the first century. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he was saying the end of ages, the last days, have already come upon us in this period. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, verse 3. Know this first, that there shall become there shall come scoffers in the last days who walk after their own lust, and shall say, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were since the beginning of creation. Okay, so we see here, the last days, <clears throat> scoffers will come, and what will they say? Everything's going on just as normal. Everything's going on. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's famines. There's earthquakes in various places. You know, there's false messiahs. Everything is going on year after year. And for the last 2,000 years, century after century has been going on. And in the last days, people will say, nothing has changed. Everything is going the same. So where is the promise of his coming? And so we need to understand that that's what Jesus was warning about. He was giving us, uh, he was showing us that not everything that happens in this world is a sign of the end. It's a sign of the last days. It's a sign that we live in the time of the Messiah. It's a, it's a time where there's going to be deception and where there's violence and where there's wickedness. All these things are a sign of the last days, but the last days is not a few years. The last days has been for the last 2,000 years. Okay, And those things should not alarm us as though the very end of the world is about to take place. Those are not signs. Now, as we'll read in Matthew chapter 24, as we continue to study, we will see that there are warnings there are signs that are given that tell us when will be his coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age there are signs but at the beginning of this uh, the message in matthew chapter 24 he's telling us these are not the signs i'm going to tell you the signs but don't think that these are the signs well just like i said about driving down that gravel road when you see the big sign that says turn here this is chris's house no that's a sign but if you're going for a long time and you're asking yourself man we've been going a long time uh, maybe we missed the turn. Don't. Don't turn back. Don't think that you made a mistake. No, keep going. The sign will be very clear when it comes time to see it. So I hope this has been helpful to you uh, in understanding the, the passage that we looked into and maybe some other concepts and ideas that sometimes we're confused about. And I, I hope you can wrestle with this and, and think it through because that's what, that's what the goal is. Uh, I'm not saying that every word that I've said in this video is is absolutely sound and perfectly true. Uh, we need to test that and we need to kind of wrestle with things, but don't just throw it out and say, well, no, that's not how, how I learned. Uh, that's not, no, no, in my system, it's like this. No, in my system, it's like that. Don't, don't do that. 
Instead, say, wait a second, is that what the passage is saying? Is the passage saying that the end is not yet? Is the passage saying, don't let them tell you that the, the end is at hand? Is the passage giving a warning and saying, look, all these things are taking place, but these are not signs of the end? Is that really what is being said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 through 14? Or, you know, have I just got it off? And maybe in a future video in about two months, I'll come back and say, oh yeah, you know, when I said I had a disclaimer that I could be wrong, well, there I was, I was wrong. So let's really wrestle with the scripture and try to find out what Jesus is telling his disciples. And note that the apostles, later in the writings, you know, whether it was James, or whether it was John, or Peter, or Paul, they all said the same thing, that in these last days that are already existing, all these things, deception and wickedness and all these things are taking place, okay? But they weren't saying that that was a sign of the end of the world. They were saying that was a sign of the messianic age. That was a sign of the last days. I hope this has been helpful to you. God bless.